the very thought of heaven ought to make us jump for joy. You can be nearly a hundred or you can be a child, but the very thought of heaven ought to make us jump for joy. When I think about heaven, I think that heaven should put spring in our step and a song of joy in our heart. Defective. It's not a word that we like very much because if we purchase defective products, that causes us a little bit of uh, frustration. But if you and I have defective views of heaven, we will also likely have a defective view of earth. Think about that. Years ago, a precious brother in Christ wrote this hymn. Earth holds no treasures but perish with using. However precious they be, yet there's a country to which I am going. Heaven holds all to me. Heaven holds all to me. Brighter its glory will be. Joy without measure will be my treasure. Heaven holds all to me. What the saved will enjoy from Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 8. I am convinced that the people of God need to think more about home. I'm convinced that the people of God need to think more about eternity. In a passage like Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, our Lord said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust won't consume, where thieves won't break through and steal. He went on to say in verse 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. Jesus is talking about treasuring heaven. He's talking about thinking a lot about heaven, about it making us jump for joy at the prospect. Making us cry out, praise God, that we can be there with him. It puts spring in our steps and a song in our hearts. How about Colossians 3? The opening two verses of that chapter talk about seeking the things that are above and setting our affections on things that are above. Then verse 4 says, When Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with Him in glory. What rich passages. And of course, Revelation chapter 21, a couple of verses of which were read to us by Jared in our scripture reading, are a marvelous picture of what the righteous will enjoy. Think about it with me. How do you describe 
places that boggle the mind, places that have never been experienced. If you look and see the lakes, there's a particular state here in our country known as the land of 10,000 lakes, Minnesota. Maybe you've been there. How do you describe, though, the land of 10,000 lakes to an individual who lives in Atacama, Chile? That's that dry desert. It's known as the driest place on earth. There are many years when they get less than four inches of total rainfall. Which means that they're only just a couple of inches less than us in West Texas sometimes. Missed it by that much, didn't we? All right. How do you describe that, though? How do you describe the land of 10,000 lakes to a person that is only known a barren desert? How do you describe the majesty and the beauty of the Rocky Mountains to someone who lives in the flattest place on earth? How do you describe 14,000 foot high mountains to someone that lives in the flattest place in the world, the salt flats of Bolivia? It's hard to take it in, isn't it? It would be hard, it would be difficult to explain this to someone who's never really experienced or seen anything like it. How do we describe the beauty of eternal life and glory to a group of people who have never experienced anything like it? And that is what, brothers and sisters, John is privileged to do through the Holy Spirit in Revelation 21, 1 through 8. He is privileged to, to, describe, to describe what is indescribable, what is infinitely beautiful, what is truly delightful. to people who were hurting when he first penned these words because they were undergoing persecution. But oh, through the centuries, the joy, the idea of where the righteous will be and what the righteous will enjoy eternally, what that's given to people through the centuries. This morning, I'd like to look at what the righteous will enjoy from Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Five areas of delight. Five areas of incomparable joy I want to focus on from Revelation 21, 1 through 8 with you. I am convinced that the more we know about glory, 
the more we know about heaven, the more it will put a jump in our lives. And also, we have perfect, uh, we didn't work that in initially, but it was good timing. It'll put spring in our step, and we'll have perfect points in our sound system right at that time to go along with it. This is Revelation 21, 1 and 2, though it says 22, 1 and 2 on the slide. But from Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2, what is it that we will delight in? What is it that we'll rejoice in as the righteous people of God, as people who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb? In the first place, we will rejoice in a whole new realm. R-E-A-L-M. We will rejoice in a whole new realm. Notice how verse 1 begins of chapter 21. It begins with, and I saw. Keep in mind that Revelation is the most sensory book in the New Testament. Repeatedly, at least 30 times we see in the 22 chapters, and I saw. So when you see him seeing something, take note. When you hear that he's hearing something, take note. When he is tasting something, take note. When he's touching something, take note. When he talks about the prayers of the saints being incense, take note. It is a very sensory book. And so when we study it, we need to take it in with all of our senses too. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That expression is found four times in Scripture. New heaven and new earth. It's found in Isaiah 65 and verse 17. It's found in Isaiah 66 and verse 22. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. And it's found here in Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Let us not get inordinately bogged down in the location of heaven. Let's get serious about the blessing of glory. The blessing that awaits the righteous. And here is a good way of thinking about this. In describing glory, what awaits the righteous, what the author does is amazing. All the negatives that have made life as we know it here on earth will be gone. All the negatives of life that we knew here on earth will be gone. And all the infinite blessings of being in the presence of God will be enjoyed. Whatever that expression, new heaven and new earth, means, it most assuredly means this. Wow. 
all the negatives of this life will be removed. All of the blessings of being in the presence of God will be multiplied infinitely because that's where we are. In Philippians uh, chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul would write, For to depart and to be with Christ is very far better. If you mark in your Bibles or are taking notes, jot down the word new here. New is a word we're going to see a number of times in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. When we look at Revelation 21 and we see this in verses 1 and 2, new heaven and new earth, the word new means new in quality. It's as if a comparison cannot really be made because what is new is so much greater, so much better. So no matter how life has been to you on earth, it may have had a good life here, it cannot compare to what awaits. You may not have had a very good life here, it will not compare to what awaits. New. And notice what is said. The first, and it's an interesting term, protos in Greek, the first is passed away. The first heaven, the first earth, in harmony with what's said with 2 Peter chapter 3 that I referred to earlier, especially verses 8 through 14. Notice what else is said, and I love this statement. The sea was no more To many people who lived back then, the sea was often about calamity. Traveling by sea was treacherous. And if you are John in the book of Revelation, the Aegean Sea separates you from Christians in places like Ephesus that you were really close to and that you loved a great deal. So what's being said? No more sea, no more calamity. No more suffering, shipwreck, and life. No more separation. You see, in glory there is the river of life. Many of us have known a lot of tumultuous seas. Here on earth, the sea was no more. Continuing, and I saw, yet again, this very sensory book. Take it in. I tell you what, you know, some people just love the smell of new leather. Well, I'm one of those people that when it's a Bible and it's a new one, I love to smell it. Every now and then, you'll even see teeth marks on some of my Bibles. We need to experience it with all of our senses and not just the outward part. We need to eat it up, what God says. We need to hear and see and get his message. I saw what a holy city, part of the holy nation, 1 Peter 2, verses 5 through 10. I saw the new Jerusalem, 
Those whose names were enrolled in glory, Hebrews 12, 22 through 29. What else do you see, John? I see this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Now stop and look at this. The people of God, the righteous, are being depicted, Steve. God's people are called holy, God's people are people made new who are under the reign of King Jesus. Coming down out of heaven. Now, I like direction shifts here because normally when we think of the church, we think of those in the church going up so shall we meet him in the air and be forever with the Lord, remember? 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. But in this vision, John is privileged to see and, and that he's privileged to share with us, we've got the saved coming down. And notice the origin of God's righteous people from God. God's people are Holy, God's people are under Christ's reign. God's people, the righteous, have been in the mind of God from the beginning. Titus 1 and verse 2. God's people, the bride of Christ, Revelation 19, 9, is beautiful. Now, I have never done one wedding where the bride wasn't beautiful. <laughs> have you ever gone to a wedding where the bride wasn't beautiful? Now, we are tempted sometimes in the church, the body, to only look at the church with human eyes. And what I'm saying, ladies, is this might be us, might be ladies, the morning of the wedding before you got ready to walk down the aisle. Early morning before you've had your coffee, your caffeine, whatever. And so maybe to human eyes, well, <laughs> okay. But at the wedding, the bride is adorned in beauty and everybody To God, His people are extraordinarily beautiful. I want to be able to see the bride of Christ more like that. Shouldn't we all? To see us the way God sees us. As a bride adorned for her husband, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Romans 7, uh, verses 1 through 4, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. So keep in mind, what will the righteous enjoy in eternity? We will enjoy what? A whole new realm. 
better and vastly different than anything we have ever experienced. Notice number three, um, this is the second point, but verse three of uh, Revelation 21. We will enjoy intimate, personal, and unending communion with God. Intimate, personal, and unending communion with God. I heard a loud voice, verse 3 begins, from the throne. We don't know exactly who says this. It seems as if it's either a mighty angel that's speaking with a loud voice or perhaps one of the four living creatures. We don't know for sure, but we hear this loud voice from the throne. Behold. It's the most common command in the book of Revelation. You need to see this. You need to get this. Your life's not going to be good. You're going to be defective in how you view things unless you see this for what it is. Behold. And then listen. The dwelling place of God is with man. Depending upon the translation you read, you'll be seeing a word, Brother Bill, in the older translation, tabernacle. Tabernacle. In the Old Testament, there was the tent because God's people were on the move. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And what John is doing through the Holy Spirit is piling up accolades to the effect that we will forever rejoicing Delightfully be in the presence of God without interruption, without end, and it'll be intimate and personal. I will be their God, they will be my people, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Think about earlier when Jesus came in Matthew 1, 21 through 25, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God himself will be with them as their God. He will dwell with the dwelling place of God is with man. In the book of Genesis, think about what was found initially. This beautiful garden was made by God. Adam and Eve were placed in it. And imagine how they were blessed to have God walk with them in the garden. And then sin came. Revelation indicates that because of the Lamb, sin has been dealt with. Victory can be God's people, and we, God's people, we can have that victory, and we can be with Him 
forever. Love this one because Jared read it for us in our scripture reading earlier. We will enjoy no longer experiencing sin and its effects. We'll enjoy what? Unending, personal, intimate communion with God? Yes, we'll enjoy what? A whole new realm. Incredibly better than anything we have ever experienced. The half's not been told. And then we look at verse 4. The big five. God shall wipe away every tear. This verse says, also found in Revelation 7, 16 and 17. And Isaiah 25 and verse 8. There will be no more tears because God will wipe them away. I wonder how many tears have been cried through the years. How many tears have you cried? Doesn't take a little baby long to cry, does it? To see tears going down a child's cheeks. No death. I'm looking at the neighborhood now of doing close to 400 funerals. A friend of mine in Oklahoma has done 800. Imagine there being no death. One of the things that most of us have in common is we know something about tears and we know far too much about death. No sorrow. No sorrow, no mourning or crying, no pain. How could anybody be indifferent to a realm like that? Man, if this were a place here on earth, I would say, Cherie, pack up and let's put the house for sale and let's go. Isn't that what anybody would say in the right mind? How can anybody be indifferent to the joys of eternity that the righteous will share? Because I've seen too many tears and too much death. Too much sorrow and crying and pain. I'm very familiar with it here. We will enjoy no longer experiencing sin and its effect. Next, we will enjoy resting in the secure promises of God. Verse 5, behold, there it is again, get it, got it, good, make sure you get this. If you get it, it can make all the difference in how you view life and how you view eternity. Think about it, I make all things new, God says. I love the passage. 
I guess if you had to pick a key verse out of Revelation 21, 1 through 8, this may well be the one to pick. I am making all things new. God is a specialist in that. We have a new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Hebrews 9, 15. It's better than the old one. Hebrews 8, verse 6. It is. Jesus gave a new commandment, John 13, 34 and 35, that we should love one another as he loves us. As he loves us. Talk about quality. Talk about richness. Talk about something that's incomparable. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 God who makes things new. The new and living way, Hebrews 10 and verse 20. But in this context, it's talking about eternity. Behold, I am, there's the source, I am making all things, there's the extent, all things, I am making all things new. There's the quality. There are people in here that, that are artists. Some can draw magnificently. Some write poetry. Some like, like Rodney over here. You can, you can make things and you can work with heavy machinery. And, 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 and somebody like me, I just am amazed by all the things that people can, can, can do. But how all of them put together who have ever lived pale in comparison to the God who makes all things new. How in the world can you top that one? No tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. Aren't you glad we have a God like that? Aren't you? And then notice what he says. Write this down. Now, part of me is just enough country enough to go George Strait and say, write this down, take a little note. But that's really what God is saying. George stole that line from God. Because there could be nothing any more encouraging than knowing that we have a God that makes things new, so new that there is no way to even make a qualitative comparison. The quality is so great. These things says the one who is faithful and true. The one who rides on the horse, Revelation 19, 11, faithful and true. The one that we'll see in Revelation 22 and verse 6, faithful and true. The groom... As the bride enters in our culture, in our nation, the song often 
is faithful and true. And then God says, it is finished. It's done. Just like Jesus from the cross, John 19, 30. It's said here in verse 6, and we'll continue looking on at some of the other verses. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And then notice what he says. The one who knows the end from the beginning, that is the beginning, the end of all things. Get this. Who spoke the first words when the world began? And God's going to have the last word too. When it all ends. It is done. It is finished. To the thirsty, to the thirsty I will give the water of life freely. Life. To the one who conquers. Notice these promises. Talk about resting in the secure promises of God. To the thirsty I will give the water of life freely. Without cost, unending supply of life. And to the one who overcomes, to the one who conquers, they will have a heritage, they will have an inheritance. And the text says, I will be their God. And they will be what? My people, my son, my daughter, my child. There's a whole lot of things here on earth that people can never be. Not really. It's outside the realm of possibility, it seems. But every person who is thirsty can drink from the water of life freely and every person who overcomes Satan and sin and self through the blood of the Lamb can know a heritage of having God as their father and being God's child. Verse 8 Verse 8, we will enjoy eternal life without fear or loss. You talk about the most stark of contrast. Revelation 20 had ended with people going into the lake that burns with fire. In Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And those... On the other side, whose names are written in the book of life. And what this contrast does as it closes out this particular thought unit, this paragraph, if you will, is say, we will enjoy eternal life without fear or loss. Those who are not in the Lord, those who have not been made right by the Lord, they will know the second death. 
this is something of a who's who in hell. Roll call of the damned. And eight sins are mentioned. Now think about this, because surely there were people who came to the Lord in the first century, and there are people that have come to the Lord in the years since that were guilty of some of these very sins, but they've been dealt with by the blood of the Lamb as people have looked to Him in faith for grace and salvation. Now here's what I want you to see. Eternal life without fear and without loss. But, word of contrast, the cowardly, the fearful. Cody, get it down. I want to be in glory because God is our warrior king. There have been times I have been afraid and there have been times I have been a coward. But God is our warrior king. I shall not want. The faithless and the unbelieving, well, in glory, the righteous will know the faithfulness of their God. Think about how we get to experience God as our warrior king now, Adam. But there will be no fears, no worries, no losses in the presence of the warrior king. He can be counted on. He can be depended upon. He is faithful in a world so full of unbelief and faithlessness. Think about this one. The detestable in glory will be in the presence of the beautiful God. And like young people sing, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. Won't it be great to see Him? Murderers, God is just and He is the life giver. We won't have to worry about miscarriages of justice. And the taking of innocent life. Because God is just in the life giver. The sexually immoral will be in the bad place. But those who love the Lord and have been made right with Him. Will be with a pure God. A pure God. Sorcerers. People turn to sorcery and witchcraft out of ignorance and out of a failure to see the power of God. We will get to be in the presence of a God we will know even better and we can see something of His awesome power as we think about life and what it was like here as God saw us through and as we look at the glory of eternity. No idolaters. God's exclusive. God's exclusive. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are things that compete in my life for the place that really only belongs to God. Do you all have that problem too sometimes? 
God is exclusive. And when we are there, we will enjoy eternal life without fear or loss because God's exclusive. Liars. God is true. God is true. Now, Carl, if we were a first century Christian suffering for our faith and we received this part of the message of Revelation as we've studied it today, you think it made any difference in their lives? You think they wanted to jump for joy when they often had it hard here in this world? You think there was a spring in their step and a song in their heart and they just wanted to say, praise God for what he's made possible in Jesus the Lamb. The saved will enjoy a whole new realm. Personal unending communion with God. The righteous will enjoy no longer experiencing sin and its effects. They will rest in the secure promises of God. They will know the reality of those promises fully. And the saved will enjoy an eternal life, free from fear or loss. Sometimes we get things a little backwards. Death is difficult. Grief is a reality. But if we focused more on the blessed assurance the righteous have in the gospel, how much better off we would all be because one has gone to be with God. I can hardly wait. There are times that I can hardly wait. How about you? Now it's in his hands, but I won't it be amazing? Won't it be amazing? Because God is the God who makes all things new. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. I cannot fathom how there would be a single person in this assembly that would not want to be right with God after hearing what we've heard from His Word today. What are you thinking? Don't give me any of that drivel that I'd like to go to heaven, but hell's going to be where my friends are. Really? I want to be where my God is and my Savior and King. I want to be where there's no tears and no death and no sorrow and no crying and no mourning and no pain. Don't you? And through Jesus and his blood, one can. Through trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, turning from sin and repentance and wanting to go God's way and 
being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. At that point, the blood of Jesus at baptism washes away sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. You can be God's child now and have so much to look forward to from the God who makes all things new. And if you are a Christian and you've developed a defective view of heaven or a defective view of this world, I hope that this study has helped you see the light. Let us stand and sing.